Among the Hidden by Margaret Peterson Haddocks. Chapter 7. By mid-September, Luke's days had fallen into a familiar pattern. He got up at dawn just for the chance to sit on the stairs and watch the rest of his family eat breakfast. They all rushed now. Mother had to be at the factory by seven. Dad was trying to get all the machinery in working order before harvest, and Matthew and Mark were back in school. Only Luke had time to linger over his undercooked bacon and dry toast. He didn't, even, didn't bother asking for butter, because that meant someone would have to stand up and bring it over to him, all the while pretending for the sake of the open window that they'd just forgotten something upstairs. As soon as the rest of his family had stomped out, out the door, Luke went back to his room and watched out the vents, first out the front to see Matthew and Mark climb onto the school bus, then out back where the new houses were practically finished. They were mansions as large as the garner's house and barn put together. They gleamed in the morning sunlight as, their, as though their walls were studded with precious jewels. For all Luke knew, maybe they were. Hordes of workmen still arrived every morning, but almost all of them worked indoors now. They headed into the houses first things, first thing, carrying rolls of carpet, stacks of drywall, cans of paint. Luke couldn't see much of them after that. He spent more time now watching a new kind of traffic, expensive-looking cars driving slowly down the newly paved streets. Sometimes they pulled into a driveway and went into one of the houses, usually trailing a woman who appeared to be talking non-stop. It had taken Luke a while to figure it out. He certainly hadn't dared ask anyone else in his family, but he thought maybe the people were thinking about buying the houses. Once he realized that, he studied each potential neighbor carefully. He'd overheard Mother and Dad marveling that the people moving into the new houses were not just going to be city people, like but barons. Barons were unbelievably rich, Luke knew. They had things ordinary people hadn't had in years. Luke was sh wasn't sure how the barons got had gotten rich when everybody else was poor, but Dad never said the word baron without a curse or two in front of him. The people streaming through the houses did look different from anyone in Luke's family. They were mostly thin, beautiful women in form-fitting dresses and heavy-set men in what Luke's dad and brothers called sissy clothes, shiny shoes and clean, dressy pants and jackets. Luke always felt a little embarrassed for them showing up like that. Or maybe he was embarrassed for his family that never looked they that they had they never looked like any of the barons. Luke preferred it when the adults had children with them, and he could concentrate on them. The smallest ones were always dressed up as dressed up as their parents, with hair bows and suspenders and other jihaws that Luke knew his parents would never buy. The older kids usually seemed to be wearing whatever they'd grabbed first out of their closet that morning. Though he knew no one would dare show up with three kids, he always counted. One, two, one, 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 two. What if a family with just one kid moved in behind them, and he sneaked into their house and pretended to be their second child? He could go to town, to school, act like Matthew and Mark. What a joke. Luke living with barons. More likely he'd be shot for trespassing or turned in. When he began thinking things like that, he always jumped down from his perch by the vent and grabbed a book from one of the dusty stacks by the eaves. Mother had taught him to read and to do math as much as she knew herself. At least we have a few books for you, she often mumbled sadly when she left in the morning. He'd read all, he'd read all their books dozens of times, even the ones with titles like Diseases of the Porcine, Porcine, Porcine Species and Common Grasses of Our Countryside. 
His favorites were the handful of adventure books, the ones that let him pretend he was a knight fighting a dragon to rescue a, ki a kidnapped princess, or an explorer sailing on the high seas, holding tight to a mast while a hurricane raged about him. He liked to forget he was Luke Garner, third child hidden in an attic. Sometimes around, sometime around noon, he'd hear the door from the mudroom to the kitchen swing open, and he'd go down to eat at the same time as his dad. Without mother, there were no homemade pies now, no mashed potatoes, no roasts that sent good smells throughout the house. Dad always made four sandwiches, checked to make sure no one could see him, then handed two of them to Luke in the stairwell. Dad never talked. He'd explained that he didn't want anyone overhearing him and wondering. But he did turn the radio on for noon, uh, the noon farm report, and there was usually a song or two after that before Dad silenced the radio and went outside to work again. When Dad left, Luke went to his room to read or watch the houses again. At 6.30, Mother came home, and she always stopped in and said hi to Luke before rushing out to do a whole day, day's work in the few hours before bedtime. Usually Matthew or Mark came up to visit him, too, but they could neither, never stay long, either. They had to help Dad before supper, then do homework afterwards. The end, they always had been nicest to Luke outdoors. Before the woods came down, the three of them often played kickball or football or spud in the backyard after school and chores. Matthew and Mark always fought about who had, who got to have Luke on his team because even if Luke wasn't very good, two boys together could always beat the third. Now they played half-hearted games of cards or checkers with Luke, but Luke could tell they'd rather be outside. So would he. He tried not to think about it. The best part of the day came at the end when Mother tucked him in. She'd be relaxed then. She'd stay for an hour sometimes, asking him what he read that day, or telling him stories about the factory. Then one night, when she was telling how her plastic glove had gotten stuck in a chicken she'd degutted that day, Mother suddenly stopped in the middle of a sentence. Mother, Luke said. She answered with a snore. She'd fallen asleep sitting up. Luke studied her face, seeing lines of fatigue that hadn't been there before, noticing that the hair around her face now held as much gray as brown. Mother, he said again, gently shaking her arm. She jerked. But I cleaned that chicken off. Oh, sorry, Luke. You need tucking in, don't you? She fluffed his pillow, smoothed his sheet. Luke sat up. That's okay, Mother. I'm getting too old for this anyway. He swallowed a lump in his throat. Anyway, um, I bet you weren't still tucking Matthew or Mark in when they were twelve. No, she said quietly. Then I don't need it either. Okay, she said. She kissed his forehead, anyhow, then turned out the light. Luke turned his face to the wall until she left. End of chapter 7. Among the Hidden by Margaret Peterson Haddix, Chapter 8. One cool rainy morning, a few weeks later, Luke's family left in such a rush they barely had time to say goodbye. They dashed out the door after breakfast, Matthew and Mark complaining about their packed lunches, Dad calling back, I'm going to, the, up, I'm going to that auction up in Scheidelsville. Won't be home till after supper. Mother hurried back and handed Luke a bag of cracklings and three pears and some biscuits from the night before. She muttered, so you won't get hungry, and gave him a quick kiss on the head. Then she was gone, too. Luke peered around the stairway door, surveying the chaos of dirty pans and crumb-covered plates left in the kitchen. 
He knew not to look out as far as the window, but he did anyway. His heart gave a strange jump when he saw the window was covered. Someone must have pulled the shades the, shades the night before to try to keep the kitchen warm, then forgotten to raise it in the morning. Luke dared to leave at lead, lean out a little farther. Yes, the shade was down on the other window, too. For the first time in almost six months, he could step out into the kitchen and not worry about being seen. He could run, skip, jump, dance even on the vast linoleum without fear. He could clean up the kitchen and surprise Mother. He could do anything. He put his right foot out tentatively, not quite daring to put his full weight on it. The floor squeaked. He froze. Nothing happened, but he retreated anyway. He went back up the stairs, crawled along the second floor hallway to avoid the windows, then climbed the stairs to the attic. He was so disgusted with himself he could taste it. I am a coward. I am a chicken. I deserve to be locked away in the attic forever, ran the, through his head. No, no, he countered himself. I'm cautious. I'm making a plan. He climbed up onto the stool on top of a trunk that served as his perch for watching out the back vents. The neighborhood behind his house was fully occupied now. He knew all the families that had come up with and had come up with names for most of them. The big car family had four expensive cars sitting in their driveway. The gold family had all hair the color of sunshine. The bird brain family had a set of row had a set of had set a row of thirty bird houses along their backyard fence, even though Luke could have told them it was pointless to do that until spring. The house he could see best, right behind the garner's backyard, was occupied by the sports family. Two teenage boys lived there, and their deck overflowed with soccer balls, baseball bats, um, tennis balls, base basketballs, honey sticks, hockey sticks, and apparatus from games Luke could only guess at. Today he wasn't interested in games. He was interested in seeing the families leave. He had noticed before that all the houses were empty by nine in the morning with kids off to school and grown-ups off to work. Three or four of the women didn't seem to have jobs, but they left too, returning late in the afternoon with shopping bags. Today he just had to make sure no one was staying home sick. The Gold family left first. Two blonde heads in one car, two blonde heads in another. The sports family was next, the boys carrying football pads and helmets, their mother teetering on high heels. Then there was a flurry of cars streaming from every driveway onto the still sparkling new streets. Luke counted each person, keeping track so carefully that he made scratches on the wall and counted those scratches twice again in the, at the end. Yes, 28 people gone. He was safe. Luke scrambled down from his chair, his head spinning with plans. First he'd clean up the kitchen, then he'd start some bread for supper. He'd never made bread before, but he'd watched Mother a million times. Then maybe he could pull the shades in the rest of the house and clean it thoroughly. He couldn't vacuum, that would be too loud. But he could dust and scrub and polish. Mother would be so pleased. Then in the afternoon, before Matthew or Mark or the kids in the neighborhood got back, he could put something on for supper. Maybe potato soup. Why, he could do this every day. He'd never considered housework or cooking particularly thrilling before. Matthew and Mark always scoffed at it as women's work, but it was maybe it was better than nothing. And maybe, just maybe, if this worked, he could convince Dad to let him sneak out to the barn and help there, too. Luke was so excited, he stepped into the kitchen without a second thought this time. Who cared if the floor creaked? No one was there to hear it. 
He gathered up the dishes from the kit table, piled them into the sink, scrubbing everything with extraordinary zeal. He measured out flour, lard, and milk and yeast, and put it, putting it on, was putting it all in a bowl when it occurred to him that it might be okay to turn on the radio very softly. Nobody'd hear, and if they did, they'd just figure out figure the family had forgotten to turn it off, just as they'd forgotten to raise the shades. The bread was in the oven, and Luke was picking up lint by hand from the living room rug when he heard tires on the gravel driveway. It was two o'clock in the afternoon, too early for the school bus, or mother or dad. Luke sprinted for the stairs, hoping whoever it was would just go away. No luck. He heard the side door creaking open, then dad exclaiming, What the? He was back early. That shouldn't matter. But hiding on the staircase, Luke suddenly felt like the radio was as loud as an entire orchestra, like the smell of baking bread could fill three counties. Luke! Dad yelled. Luke heard his father's hand on the doorknob. He opened the door. I was just trying to help, Luke blubbered. I was safe. You left the shades down, so I thought it was okay. I mean, I made sure everyone was gone from the neighborhood, and Dad glared. You can't be sure, he snapped. People like that, they get deliveries all the time. They get sick and come home from work. They have maids coming during the day. Luke could have protested, no, the maids never come before the kids get home from school, but he didn't want to give himself away any more than he already had. The shades were down, he said. I didn't turn a single light on, and even if there were a thousand people back there, nobody knew would know I was here. Please, I've just got to do something. Look, I made bread and cleaned up. What if a government inspector or someone had stopped by here? I would have hidden, like always. Dad was shaking his head and leave them smelling bread baking in an empty house? You don't seem to understand, he said. You can't take any chances. You can't, because at that precise moment, the buzzer on the oven went off, sounding as loud as a siren. Dad gave Luke a dirty look and stud stalked over to the oven. He pulled out the two bread pans and tossed them on the stovetop. He flipped off the radio. I don't want you in the kitchen again, he said. You stay hidden. That's an order. He went out the door without looking back. Luke fled upstairs. He wanted to stomp angrily, but he couldn't. No noise allowed. In his room, he hesitated, too upset to read, too restless to do anything else. He kept hearing, you stay hidden. That's an order, echoing in his ears. But he'd been hidden. He'd been careful to prove his point he, to himself, at least. He climbed back up on his perch by the back vents and looked out on the quiet neighborhood. All the driveways were empty. Nothing moved, not even the flag on the Gold family's flagpole or the spokes on the bird brain family's fake windmill. And then, out of the corner of his eye, Luke caught a glimpse of something behind one window of the sports family's house. A face. A child's face. In a house where two boys already lived. The end of chapter 8.